twinkle in our mom or our dad's eye. You knew. That song we just sang, Lord, says you knew us. The Bible tells us you knew us when we were in our mother's womb, that we were your child. And so, Father, we thank you that we can have faith and confidence in in a world that tells us maybe you're not going to be good enough. Maybe you're not going to be loved enough. Maybe you're not going to be right enough or perfect enough. That's okay because the eternal God knew me before I was born, and I'm good enough for him. And so, Father, your children say thank you. In the name of your son, amen. You may be seated. I remember when we had our first worship service, that was one of the songs that we did. It's still a a Grace Life favorite, that one. We love that one. So, Um, I'm Joe Davis. One of the pastors here. I'm excited today. Why? I'm nervous, so I'm glad you're excited, but I'm nervous, so. Okay, great. I'm going to be good. She's such an encouragement. Um, We're continuing with our series on 1 John. Uh, This week, we're looking at chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. I've titled today's message, You Look Like Your Dad. Okay? So, um, this was uh, my... uh, social media campaign this week. And for those of you that follow me, the 10 of you that follow me on social media, um, I found this picture. I don't think it's anybody necessarily famous, just a random dad and his kid. Is that somebody famous? I don't know. I don't think so. But you can see like they look exactly alike. It's really, oh, isn't that cute? Aw, that's good. Right? Um, So pictures with kids and their parents that look alike, they always grab my attention. I mean, because this kid right here, they're not trying to look like their parents, right? They just, they can't help it. They do. Uh, they're born that way. And there is this popular, though, there's this popular concept out there that says we are all God's children. We're all God's kids. God's, you know, everybody's heavenly dad. But my question for you is, what does a child of God actually look like? I mean, if, if earthly kids can look like their earthly dad, what is it that a spiritual child is supposed to look like if he's supposed to emulate his heavenly dad? Do you yourself think that you look like one of God's children? If you don't, then how can we? How do we know that our life looks like what a child of God should look like? How do we know if we look like our spiritual father? How do we know if if it's possible? How can we know that we're making him proud? How do we know if we're making him smile? You guys have heard me many. For those of you that know me, that's one of my favorite ways to end a prayer is Heavenly Dad, help us to make you smile with everything we do. Well, that's today's topic. So I'm going to read the passage to you in 1 John chapter 3. Verses 4 to 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, he being Jesus. He appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God, who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Whoa. A little scary? A little thought-provoking? Well, we're going to break it down for you so maybe it's not so scary today. <clears throat> we like to look at three applications of each passage. The historical, what about man, what was going on? And let me explain why that's important. I was talking to, uh, to Doug, the drummer, beforehand. You know, for us to really understand Scripture, we have to understand the emotions and the circumstances of what the people that were reading it for the very first time were thinking, what they were feeling, what it was they were going through. We also have to understand what the author was thinking, what he was going through, how he felt. Without understanding those things, it's ridiculous to think that we can understand what the scripture's teaching us. That's why understanding the history of the application is, is, is uh, important. So I want to talk about the immoral teachers. First of all, I want you to know that they were bad kids. What the Gnostics, those who were influencing the first century church in Ephesus, where John is writing and where he lives, they claimed that not only were they without sin, they claimed that they had never actually sinned. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, John explains that they're wrong for saying that they've never sinned. And the reason is, is because those people did not view acts done in the body as important to one's spiritual position. Whether you did good deeds or bad deeds, whether you are moral or immoral, it's irrelevant because the body's not really real. It's just an illusion. It's a fake. It's a fraud. Don't worry about that. That's not really sinfulness, and how you do is not really relevant to your spiritual condition. And this led to a lifestyle that showed a lack of concern for righteousness. And they literally, this is important for you to understand, Historically, this is proven, they literally promoted every type of sensuality you could think of. Emotional, sexual, physical, food, socially, every type of sensuality. They said, look, there is no thing, such thing as an absolute moral code. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter because this whole physical earth thing is a mirage anyway. And the, agnostic, the, the Gnostic teachers themselves were actually very sexually immoral. Infidelity among them was rampant. In fact, they went out of their way to teach that immorality was a myth. Anything goes. They even went so far as to condemn the idea of marriage and faithfulness in marriage, especially marriage that led to childbirth because anything that added to the mirage of the physical world like another being is just wrong and a waste of time. They actually said, don't get married. It's wrong for you. If you get married, you're, gonna, you're going to be imprisoning yourself in this physical world. Stay single. Do whatever you want. And as you can see that they were, these bad kids were definitely a bad influence. They had taken, unfortunately, in this first century, they had somehow come in and stolen away a place of prominence within the church. And their influence, guys, listen, this is important. Their influence was wreaking havoc. They actively encouraged others to adopt their lifestyle of drunkenness, immorality, theft, and looking down on others that didn't meet, meet their knowledge standards specifically susceptible to these teachings were the young men in the church. Even those with families 
especially those who were church leaders. The consequences, as you can imagine, for people who were easily led astray by these teachings and began to live a life of immorality, the consequences, as you can imagine, were devastating. As the consequences of this lifestyle are devastating and massive today. The kids were hurt. Spouses were hurt. Churches were hurt. It was painful. Not just on those living that way, but those associated with those that began to live that way. The fallout in this church from this type of teaching was widespread. Painful. And you can see quite discouraging. So what John does is he exposes the fallacy. And John is making it clear that to be one of God's children, to claim to be a child of God, which, by the way, the Gnostics did, there would naturally have to be, by nature, without question, a lifestyle that is worthy of that title or that name. This was important, guys, because those promoting this immoral lifestyle were holding themselves up not only to be children of God, but they were saying they are spiritual authorities. Listen to us. We know what we're talking about. He lays out a comparison between God's children and those that claim to be connected to the Father but aren't. He lays out the evidence that the Gnostics, the Gnostic teachers, these immoral teachers, did not meet any of the descriptions of a child of God. But the people that John was writing to did, as a matter of fact, and we'll get into that later. Remember prior when he wrote to them saying he knew they were believers? You guys remember some of you that have missed some of those sermons? You might want to go back. But he says, I'm writing to you because I know that you are tr Christians. I'm writing to you because I know you've overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you because I know you'll never leave. You other people have left, but you will not leave the church. You will abide. I'm writing to you because I believe in you. As a matter of fact, he went so far as to write a song for them. Do you guys remember that? In one of the sermons, we talked about the song that he wrote celebrating their faith. <clears throat> he is writing to those that exactly that it actually resisted the influences and still lived lives worthy to be called children of God, lives worthy of the gift of faith. So that's the history. Understand where we are. Here's the theology. What about God? What does he do? I want you to understand that there are actually two types of children in the world. And John uses this picture of two types of children, children of God and children of the devil. He makes it very clear. Just like earthly children bear the resemblance of their parents, so do spiritual children bear the spiritual resemblance of their father, whether it's God or the devil. So let's talk about the first type of kid. I want to talk about the bad seed, children of darkness, they're called. So this idea that we're all God's children, it's actually not biblical. Did you know that none of us are actually born children of God? We are actually all born children of darkness. I've proved this to you guys in times past in other sermons by saying this. You never have to teach a kid to lie. You never have to send them to lying camp. You don't have to send them to rebellion camp. You don't have to send them to manipulation camp. They know how to do that on their own. Correct? There's a couple of verses I want to read to you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 3. Here's what Paul says. And you were all dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the natural course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is still at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, he says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by our very nature children of wrath, just like the rest of all mankind. He doesn't make any room there, does he? John chapter 8, verse 44. You are, this is Jesus talking, and this is the, uh, the Apostle John writing the words of Jesus. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. In other words, you want to make your dad proud. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, his own DNA. For he is a liar and he is the father of those who lie. You see, there is a consistent love affair with what the world offers if your life is dominated by darkness. A consistent, passionate Drifting toward those things that the world says are great. Here's what I'm going to share with you. If the world is continually successful in pulling you away from God's children, then you are just like your father, a child of darkness. Anyone who gleefully indulges in sin or takes sin lightly, you can't really call God your father. Fact is, all of us at one time were like this. See, that's what makes the next point that I'm going to give you such a tremendous miracle, which is the good seed, children of light. The transition from being a child of darkness to a child of light is a supernatural one. It is not a religious one. It is not a knowledge-based one. It is not a performance process. It is a supernatural process. It's not something generated by your higher knowledge or your strong will, it is God at work. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. It's the next part in those verses I just read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Here's what he says. But God being rich in mercy, this is right after he says we were all children of darkness, right? We've all walked that way. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ, the rebirth. By grace you have been saved. And then he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, we were dead in sin. We were children of darkness. He makes us alive. He adopts us and puts us in the same place as he put his son. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10 is another good one that Paul writes. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try your best to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. See, once someone experiences this supernatural intervention, it's impossible for us who claim to be children of God, to, to continue to look like children of darkness. There's another verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Remember we talked about being ready for dad? That's what he's talking about. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. See here, guys, just like, just like immorality and, and, 
and sensuality will persist in the life of a child of darkness, believers will not persist in unrighteousness because God's seed now dwells in us. He has changed us. He has transformed us. A life of lust, a life of hedonism is incompatible with being a child of God. I love what uh, John Calvin says. He says, Christians are designated according to the prevailing principle. That is, here's the principle. They are said to be righteous and live righteously. Why? Because they sincerely aspire to be righteous. A child of light, a child of God, will not aspire saying, how much can I get away with? A child of righteousness, a child of light will say, I want to be righteous. I want to be more like God. I want to be more like Christ. I want to live the grace life. That is my desire, and I aspire for that. I don't want to be what I used to be. I want to be somebody, something different. Because when Heavenly Dad makes us his child, we are given actually everything we need for life and godliness. And by his grace, this godliness will become, it will, remember he says he transfers us from one degree of glory to another, this godliness will become more and more evident as we progress in our sanctification. You know why? Because we have a new spiritual DNA. And it begins to take over. And it begins to force us to reflect the character of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a lot of theology right there, isn't it? Some of you may not like it, but it's not my fault. It's in the Bible. Okay, don't be mad at me. <laughs> Devotional. I'm going to talk about what God's kids look like. Now listen, I just laid out for you some pretty heavy stuff. This does not mean that we are perfect like Jesus. Relax, take a breath. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with sin. It does mean, however, that we will try. And we will never stop trying to please our Heavenly Dad. I love what Martin Luther says. Martin Luther's my favorite of all time. He's a little crude, didn't have good manners, just like me. I like him for that reason. Here's what he says At the same time we are justified, we are also sinners. Martin Luther says, Look, let's be realistic. We will struggle. We are going to fail. And until dad comes back for us, like we talked about last week, and we are made just like him, we will continue to struggle with sin. We won't be perfect, church, but we will have an unquenchable, insatiable desire for righteousness to take over our lives. We will repent when it is needed, gladly, by the way, not begrudgingly, because we desire it. Just like a child of darkness desires debauchery, a child of light desires repentance. We aren't talking about perfection, but there will be, by nature, an unmistakable direction. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about an unmistakable direction. Okay, let me just explain to you why I love this sermon so much, even if you don't. Here's why I like it. I like that I'm preaching this. For years, I looked at this passage 
and I was taught that it was a warning for me of how I'm supposed to live. Better get your act together. Better get it straight. Don't be a bad kid. But in reality, when you understand the history of 1 John, when you take it in context of all the other things that we've talked about, you realize it's not meant to be an admonishment to Christians, but rather an encouragement to them about being a child of God. This conclusion is undeniable when you take into context everything that John has said. Let me just hear some of the sermons I've talked about. He says, look, there is proof in your pudding. Remember that sermon from a few weeks ago? Then he says, I'm never leaving and you're not leaving. Others have left and it broke your heart, but you are still here. He says that. Then he said, look, I know I'm preaching to the choir. In other words, I know you guys get this. He also says, remember, we talked about the fact that God has made us grace experts. The world needs us because we understand grace, not because we're so smart, but because we have received it. And then last week, he says, you will be ready that day when dad comes back. Remember, we showed those videos of those uh, soldiers coming back and a bunch of you were crying. They said, Joe, you're going to make us cry like that again. That's, I can't. OK, that was just like a once in a those videos are great. OK, so I, I, that was kind of a hard act to follow. But what John says is that's the way it's going to be when you see dad. You will not be ashamed. You'll be ready. And so when you think about the context of all of that, John has spent two and a half chapters saying you're good. I'm writing you because I believe in you. I'm writing because you've shown that you love God. I'm writing you because you are grace experts. I'm writing you because I'm preaching to the choir. You will be ready for dad. And so therefore, in the context, this passage is to encourage them not to beat them with a stick. It's instructions instead for us to know how we will be able to recognize one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about it that way. He's giving us this so we know when somebody else is like us. So I got some pictures up there. I don't know if some of you can see them. There's Will Smith. You know, his kid looks a lot like him. There's Gordon Ramsay's baby. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? Mel Gibson's son, it's unbelievable, the likeness, right? The eyes and everything. It's, and I'm, this other guy's not famous, but they look alike. So I just found that one. We can read today's passage with confidence and say, hey, I look like dad. You see, let me explain this. This is important. When God adopts a child... A child of darkness, which we all once were. He transforms us into children that will naturally reflect his likeness. People, even though we're not perfect, will be able to look at us and say with confidence, man, you look like your dad. It will be a stark an uncanny resemblance in our lives to the way Christ was trying to live. And it's not just only about a victory over sin in our lives. It's not that we just stop living like a child of darkness, but it's also going to be, and this is important, church, listen to me carefully. It is also going to be very evident that we look like our dad in our service of the kingdom and how we proclaim grace and how we serve others. 
We are going to be surprisingly generous. We are going to love and want righteousness in our lives. And we will be able to say, I am living the grace life. We become children that want to make heavenly dads smile. That's why I always pray, because I want to make sure when my life, that no matter, I struggle and I sin at least once a week, right, Laura? My wife will tell you at least once a week. I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing in my life, God help me make you smile. I just want to reflect what you have done for me back to you. Make me like you. God help me make you smile. I want to embrace, we want to embrace the transformational gratitude that only grace can bring to the life of a child of God. We celebrate Guys, this is important. We celebrate the process that makes us look more and more like him. And we celebrate it when we can say to each other, listen, I want you to know something. Just like John did, I want you to know something. You look just like your dad. You look just like your dad. That thing you did last week when you were serving people at Grace Life Recovery, you look just like your dad. When you guys were giving out food at the Grace Life Food Pantry, you guys look just like your dad. When you're serving upstairs at security or teaching the kids for Grace Life Kids so other people can demand and worship, you look just like your dad. When you are surprisingly generous in how you support this little church called Grace Life, you look just like your dad. When you forgave that person you had a conflict with and you hugged and you prayed together, you looked just like your dad. When you love one another, and we'll be talking about that next week, when you love one another and you're committed to one another, you look just like your dad. That's cute. I like she, that baby like that. Ooh, that was good, Pastor Joe. <laughs> so what we're going to do today, as children of God, as children of light, we're going to respond together. And celebrate together as brothers and sisters who look like our dad, the Lord's table. So before I get into the spiritual part, just a reminder, there are two films on those things. Don't open them both and spill the juice. There's one film for the wafer and one film for the juice. So just be careful with that. If you can't figure it out, just give them to Mike Bassett. He'll open it for you. Just everybody <laughs> remember about him. Um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table today. And as we do it, here's the, the focus I want you to have. I'm going to move this over without spilling it. Yeah, the very first Lord's table I spilled all over, I remember. Thanks for reminding me. So as we do the Lord's table today, here's the concept that I want you to think about. We are celebrating this together as children who look like our dad. That's what the Lord's table is meant to be for those who are children of God, who understand grace, who understand mercy. All those things can celebrate together what God has done for us in adopting us and making us children of light. And so we like to read from the Jesus's words in Matthew. And here's what he says. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take this and eat. This is my body. 
which was given for you. Whoever else wants it, I don't know. I don't have enough bread for everybody up here. Just kidding. It's a loaf. <laughs> Just kidding. It's okay. I had I love celebrating the Lord's table together, even in joy, even in laughter, because God's grace allows us to approach the throne boldly. And the next part, he says, here's the reason why. And he says, and he took a cup, which he had given thanks to, and he gave it to them saying, drink of this, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> Heavenly Dad, we're so thankful that you have made us children of light. Thank you that we can celebrate together the Lord's table as we reflect what you have done in changing us. God, we as a church desire greatly to leave behind the life of debauchery and immorality and sensuality, and we want to live a life that desires righteousness. Make that the overwhelming driving force in our daily decision-making, because we want nothing more than to look like you. The sooner, the better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, at this time, we're going to invite our team to come through the room as uh, we prepare to leave this place today. Um, we do want to take a moment um, and respond to uh, the spoken word uh, through the giving of our uh, tithes and offerings. For those of you that know what that means, that's church word for money. Um, but we're going to invite the...